Now turn again, please, for a Bible reading to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Matthew 7. And we're taking as our text today the words of verse 17. Verse 15, sorry. Matthew 7, verse 15. It says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Marginal reading just says ravening. It just means tearing in pieces. Those that will tear the flock in pieces. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' way of bringing it all to its finale. Throughout the message he's been emphasizing the differences between those who belong to his kingdom and those who are still in the kingdom of Satan and darkness And remember how those differences were all set out as we started there a long time ago in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. And what a contrast the opening remarks of Jesus were to all of the religious facade of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I think as he drew the sermon to a conclusion he still had the scribes and the Pharisees in his mind's eye when he gave out this final warning. Matthew 7 and verse 15. The life of the child of God is the life of one who's the citizen of the kingdom of God. We've been reading of Christ as king. And you and I were citizens of his kingdom. And his kingdom is not characterized by broadness. It's not characterized by inclusiveness. That everything is accepted in it. His kingdom is characterized by narrowness. And sometimes people will say to me, you have a very narrow view. Well, if I have a very narrow view, it's because Jesus had a very narrow view of those that belonged to his kingdom. In verse 13, he exhorted his listeners to enter in by the straight or the narrow gate. The way into heaven is not open for you to come with all of your sin, with all of your indulgence in the things of the flesh. It's narrow. It's a narrow gate. It's a straight gate. The narrow gate is opposed to the wide gate. You can bring anything in through the wide gate. But not the narrow gate. One pathway leads to destruction. One pathway leads to eternal life. One pathway has few on it. That's good for young people to understand. Every young Christian to understand. Do not expect on that narrow way to find the multitude. Jesus said. You'll find the few. Comparatively speaking. As a comparative basis. But comparatively speaking to the some 8 billion souls that are in the world. There are few that have found it. This pathway. Is opposed. And one of the greatest hindrances to those getting onto this narrow way. Is highlighted for us here in verse 15. False prophets do not want you to get onto the narrow way that leads to heaven and that leads to home. And there's a warning sounded here. 
as in the days of Christ's incarnation, in our own day and in our own generation, the world is full of false prophets. We could say men, and today, of course, women, who misdirect souls. And through their, their ministry, multitudes across our world today are misled, misdirected, and damned for all of God's eternity. The devil not only blinds the minds of those that believe not, but he holds them. He holds them in the dungeon of sin. But he doesn't just blind the minds of those that believe not and hold them in the dungeon of sin. For those of us who have been liberated from that dungeon, he comes after us. And he wants to recapture every liberated soul. And he wants to take them back again into bondage. How? Through the ministry of false prophets. If the Lord Jesus thought it so important enough at the end of this sermon to put out this warning, well then I, I couldn't bypass it as I came to the end of our studies in the sermon. Unsaved souls are not only ensnared by Satan, but the saved are at war with Satan. I want you as a Christian to get that today. You are in a warfare. And part of the warfare is you have to war against false prophets. And they are legion in this day and age that we live in. And I, I just want to stop with you today at Matthew 7 verse 15. And we're going to consider with you what the Lord Jesus taught about false prophets, lest there would be one and on alone, one and on alone that would be misdirected and waylaid for eternity. I want you to notice firstly how Jesus spoke about the disguise that the false prophet wears. When the Savior warned about these false prophets, he was really referring to false teachers. In the Old Testament, prophets not only foretold things that were going to happen, but they also held forth the word of God, the law of God, and his amazing grace. And they sounded forth uh, the, the, the believer's responsibility in the light of that. So Christ in our text sounded an alarm to the ears of those that were listening, these false teachers, these false prophets. These were men who claimed to have direct, to be directly commissioned by God and to have direct revelation from him. These were men and their teaching, however pleasing it was to the natural ear, and it was pleasing to the natural ear, but it was contrary to the scriptures of truth. And there's a lot of men like that abroad today. And we have man-made tradition and authority and it's set above the infallible word of the living God. That's what's happening in our day and in our generation. And what spiritual damage is therefore done to those that are fooled and deceived and blinded by these false prophets. And so I think we have to sound the alarm. We have to sound the alarm more today than ever before in my generation. We read in 2 Peter 1 and 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. It is prophesied, it is told us, there will be false teachers among you. That's the professing body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Don't think that they're not doing any harm. 
That's the argument of many today. Well, they might be doing much good, but they're not doing much harm. But they are. They're bringing in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought, bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Jesus warned about the disguise that they come in. It's very cunning because they really are wolves, but they come in sheep's clothing. The outer garments of the prophets were plain and it was one whole garment from top to the bottom. But the Lord Jesus, he noted the garments of the scribes in Luke's gospel chapter 20 verse 46. They were warned to impress the unwary. He said, beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers the same shall receive greater, greater damnation. You know, it's relatively easy to dress in religious garb. I very rarely, as you know, wear a clerical collar. But a clerical collar sometimes is a passport. It's a buy into many places. And, and the unwitting and the unwary, uh, well, well that's, that's a minister, that's a pastor. We let him in. Be warned that not all who wear clerical collars and clerical attire are what they profess to be. Remember that Satan can turn himself into an angel of light. So if Satan can turn himself into an angel of light, we ought not to be surprised when men, false teachers, come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and they really are wolves. They really are wolves that tear the flock asunder, but they wear the outer garment of the prophet and of the teacher. And they pretend to be guardians of the flock. And they pretend to be shepherds of the flock, whilst all a time they rend them asunder and they scatter them. In Acts 20, 29 and 30, Paul is speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. It's the last time he's going to see them and he gives them this warning. And he says, I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now if it could happen at Ephesus, it can happen in Annalong, it can happen in any free Presbyterian church, it can happen in any Bible-believing assembly. Grievous worlds enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. These grievous wolves, they come in with soft words, with honeyed words, and they deceive the simple. You know, none of us are out for a war. If you can keep peace, any wise man will keep the peace before he'll engage in the war. But there is no peace with false prophets. It has to be war. We read in Romans 16, 18. They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. <clears throat> good words and fair speeches. There are some men and they could talk all night about the top of a drawing pen. Uh, and they sound so eloquent and 
uh, it's as if they've swallowed the dictionary and they can put words together and they can mesmerize people and people say it's a mighty speaker. But they weren't really listening to what he said. Just how he said it. What a warning. The New Testament is just replete with such warnings. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, again we read, but such are false apostles. Not only false teachers, false prophets. Paul warned, there will be those who claim to be apostles. This is the early apostolic church. They're coming in amongst the, the assemblies of the people of God. But they're false apostles. They're not real apostles. They're deceitful workers. They transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. What a warning. This was in the day and age when the, 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 uh, the original apostles still lived. And, and when these men were still living, there were false apostles that infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, no marvel. For if Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. I want you to look beyond the clerical garb. I want you to look beyond the pastor saying. I want you to look beyond the televangelist. I want you to look beyond the mega church pastor with all of the authority and prestige and influence that that individual carries. And I want you to see is there a wolf underneath the disguise. And secondly, Jesus speaks here about the detection of the false prophet. You know, as a young believer, if you had have asked me when I was first converted in my teenage years, could you identify, could you detect the false prophet? Well, I would have looked toward Rome. Oh, I had said, yes, that's the Pope. That's all of his attendant clerics. As a young free Presbyterian, I would have said, that's all of those ecumenical liberal Protestant clergymen who are bent on reunification with the Pope and with Popery. It was all so easy in my mind. But now a whole generation has elapsed from I was in my teens. Well, it's not just as simple now as it was then, as I thought it was at least. Every generation undoubtedly has their own Amalek to fight. And today we fight a very different type of spiritual battle amongst the professing evangelical church and amongst that broad evangelical church there are those who take the name of evangelical and, and sometimes use the words of evangelicals but they are really, brethren and sisters, they are really wolves in sheep's clothing and they're rending the flock apart. They're tearing apart biblical evangelical churches and churches that a generation ago preached the word, sang these old-fashioned hymns of Zion. You go into them today, you would not even recognize them as part of the visible body of Christ. They're deceiving multitudes in evangelicalism. Just because they have the outer garb, they use the same uh, sounding, at least, evangelical phrases. And they're judged to be teachers, prophets, ministers, pastors, evangelists. So how do you detect them? 
How do you strip the, the, the garment of the wolf and expose the wolf for what he is? Well, I think there are multitudes who fit this description. Uh, we could do a series on this. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want my ministry to be negative, 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 pointing out this and that and the other. But sometimes you have to stop and point out the obvious. There are multitudes today who are influenced through music and through the medium of music. Mega churches like Hillsong Church from Australia, the Bethel Church from California. Hillsong was founded by Brian Houston and his wife, but they have had to stop down because of irregularities in their own ministry. And they were stepped down by their own church. Bethel Church is one of those charismatic mega churches from California. Its pastors are Bill and Benny Johnson. And what has made it famous, brethren and sisters, I'll tell you, it's the Bethel music. And Bethel music is a ministry of Bethel Church. And their songs are very popular in contemporary uh, Christianity and contemporary churches. But not only are their songs very popular in contemporary churches, charismatic churches and all of that. But they have infiltrated traditional evangelical churches. And now their songs have become quite mainstream. And when such music is used in our conservative, traditional, evangelical churches, and I'm not just thinking of our own denomination in, in my mind at this present time, what are we doing? We're giving the youth all that we have nurtured in our homes, we've nurtured in our Sunday schools, we've nurtured in our, our youth meetings. We're giving the, the youth a legitimate reason then to attend such Bethel services and imbibe their teachings. And you say, well, they can't go to California. I know that. But they can go to YouTube. They can go to the internet. And this is what is happening. And they're taking the music down from YouTube and the internet. And they're, they're using it uh, in the, the services. And there are elders and there are ministers. And they're doing nothing about it. You make no mistake about it today. That these churches are not, and I say it, they're not Bible-believing sound churches. They are an error. And they are at the vanguard of what is known as the Word of Faith movement and the prosperity gospel teachings. You go to Central America, you go to Africa, and all of those great continents, they're just absolutely packed full of such heretical teachings. If you believe in Jesus, you'll never be sick again. If you believe in Jesus, he can lift you out of your poverty. I can never fathom that. Because Jesus, whilst he was on earth, lived in poverty. He died in poverty. Let me list some of the teachings of these churches. Because their music is so influential... Over the past few months I've been doing some research uh, on the subject of music and I found helpful materials by, by many different men. Justin Peters is one of them. Uh, I've been looking up 
what, to put the biblical terminology on it, what are the damnable heresies, say, of Bethel from California? Well, Bill Johnson teaches what he names as that Jesus Christ is perfect theology, which claims that it's always God's will to heal everyone. Now think on that. It's always God's will to heal everyone. I was interested to read his wife's view on the doctrine of angels because all of these uh, charismatic churches, and it's the same here in Northern Ireland, it's the pastor and his wife, and they're leading the church. And so she is now a teacher too in the church. And she wrote, I think, that angels have been bored for a long time and they're ready to be put to work. And then she gives the story about one of her students at the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry who claims God told her to go to the chapel and yell, wakey, wakey. And who's she speaking to? She's speaking to angels. And the report goes, nothing happened for about five minutes. So the student turned to cross the road to go to a shop. And as she turned around, she felt the ground begin to shake and heard this huge yawn. And she looked back at the chapel and a huge angel stepped out. And all she could see were his feet because he was so large. And she asked him who he was and he turned to her and said, I am the angel from the 1904 revival and you just woke me up. And she asked him, why have you been asleep? The angel answered and said, because no one has been calling out for revival anymore. This is just fiction. It's delusional. It's not a one iota of scripture to prove it. Bethel believe, as many charismatics do, in a doctrine known as little gods. We're all little gods. This is heretical stuff. They, they also teach positive confession. In other words, you can speak things into existence. They teach that Christ completely divested himself of his deity whilst he was on earth. They teach that the atonement was made in hell. That Jesus had to be reborn. He had to be born again. They teach that man is inwardly good. There's no such thing as the poverty of sin. Sin is just rather something that prevents you from experiencing the abundant life. They practice something that is cultic, demonic in my opinion. Hypercharismatics practice what is known as grave soaking or sucking. What is that? They actually lie on a person's grave because they believe when that person was buried, they were buried with an anointing. And if they lie on the grave, they will soak up or they will suck up the anointing of the one that has died because it's just lying there, as it were, banked or, or, or doing nothing very much. Of course, they would deny this, but Johnson in his book, The Physics of Heaven, he says, there are anointings, mantles, revelations and mysteries that have lain unclaimed literally where they were left because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. I believe it's possible for us to recover realms of anointing, realms of insight, realms of God that have been 
untended for decades simply by choosing to reclaim them and then perpetuate them for future generations. Brethren and sisters, this has nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ. All you'll find in a grave is a body that's decomposing. That's all you'll find in a grave. Bethel Church also claims uh, to frequently encounter unexplained supernatural phenomena during their service, such as what? Such as dust, gold dust falling down on their service. Such as angels' feathers falling down on their service. I don't know where people get it that angels have feathers. They claim to see a glory cloud, the appearance of dust or smoke in their service, and they equate it with the Shekinah glory <coughs> that Moses had in the tabernacle in the wilderness. I don't think I need to go any further, do I? It doesn't matter how popular the music of Bethel is. It doesn't matter how popular the music of Hillsong is. It doesn't matter what reaches the top 20 or whatever it is. This is heresy. These are damnable heresies. Do not be taken in by the evangelical disguise which these prophets wear and the words that they use. And of course they affirm and, and they applaud other such charismatic heretics as, as Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, uh, Joel Austin, just, just to name a few. And these people are followed by multitudes. They have multi-million ministries. The Lord Jesus said, you'll know such prophets by their fruits. Verse 20. He gives the illustration of two trees, one good, one bad. And just like the false prophets which he spoke against he said, each will bring forth their own fruit according to their own nature. What sort of fruit do these men produce? Well, do they produce fruit that's unto holiness? Do they produce fruit that's in line with the moral law of God? Do their teachings sanctify lives, make them godly? In the main, no. Where sin is made light of, where man is exalted, where God has made the servant to the to the creature where the sovereign creator and ruler that we know him to be is dethroned then nothing of eternal value can ever be achieved I'll stay with the few I'll stay with just that little handful before I'll go into such an environment there are many who profess to be true friends of Christ but the touchstone of Isaiah's prophecy must be applied to them all. Those big mega churches. It doesn't matter how big they are. And there's some in Northern Ireland. That espouse to follow in their footsteps. Isaiah said in Isaiah 8 and 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word. It's because there's no light in them. And it doesn't matter what name they take. It doesn't matter how many followers they have. If they're speaking against this word, God the Holy Spirit says they're in darkness. There's no light in them. We're called to test the spirits. 1 John 4 says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Here we have Jesus, Matthew 7. Here we have Paul. 1 Corinthians, here we have Peter, here we have John, all of, this, all of the apostolic church that puts out this warning. 
There are false prophets. Don't sleep in 2023 because there, there are false prophets in 2023. And they're influencing young minds and they're influencing hearts and lives and they're drawing, they're drawing a whole generation away from conservative, traditional, evangelical churches and they're drawing them away into these hyper-charismatic churches that are totally heretical in so much of their teaching and so much of their beliefs. If you want to detect a false prophet... Just put the measuring line of God's word by what they teach and what they say. That's how you detect them. That will expose them for what they are. Well, we'll, we'll conclude just with two brief thoughts. The doom of the false prophet, thirdly. In explaining their, their doom, their damnation, Jesus took again the illustration of these trees. The good trees that didn't produce the good the trees which didn't produce the good fruit, what happened to them? They were cut down. They were hewn down. They were cast into the fire. There are many today and they say, well, they must be all right. They're successful. Many people go to listen to them. Look at the money that they bring in. Look at the good that they're doing. Look at the, the ministries that they have and all of that there. But that's not how you test them, is it? It's the eternal fruit that they produced as the greatest test. Jesus said in John fifteen six, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Again, we read that passage, 2 Peter 2 and 3. We read, Through covetousness, those false teachers shall... They with feigned words make merchandise of you. It's a money-making business. All of those mega churches, it's a money-making business. Put your, put your hand to the screen of the TV. And as soon as you sent me $100 by the internet, you'll be healed. That's what's happening. It's a money-making business. They make merchandise of you. But their damnation slumbereth not. God's not sleeping. God is going to judge the false prophet. We read that of that ultimate false prophet in Revelation 19.20 about the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. Isn't this the ultimate personification of all of these false prophets and what it will culminate in before the Lord comes back? And what does God say about them? They were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. What a, a fearful judgment awaits these false prophets. But wait a minute. The same judgment awaits all who reject Jesus Christ. John the Baptist came, the forerunner of Christ. He's such a short ministry. He said in Matthew 3, 11 and 12, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But 
but he says he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You're either wheat today or chaff. And if you're chaff, I urge you today to repent of your sin. I'm glad today as it's the day of salvation. It's not the day of judgment. It's not the day of damnation. It's the day of salvation. You can repent of your sin today and come to Christ and no pardon and cleansing through the blood of the Lamb. The false prophet's doom does not have to be your doom. Just in closing, let me talk to you about the defense against the false prophet. We'll just summarize it. Our best defense is what? It's the preaching, the teaching of the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is that weapon that we take and we can take on the world, the flesh and the devil and no victory. There is no substitute believer for your own personal reading of the word of God, for your own private study of the word of God. It doesn't matter how many sermons you download. It doesn't matter who you listen on YouTube. It doesn't matter what you have on, on, on Twitter or anything else. There is no substitute for you reading the Bible and studying the Bible every day for your own self. Nor is there any substitution for the public preaching of the word of God in a local assembly. Today many have internet pastors. Hasn't happened here and on along as yet. But I have been approached by people and they've said. But such and such a one doesn't say that. Where would you get that? On the internet. Such and such a one says something. Where would you get that? On the internet. And internet pastors come and go. But a local minister is there week by week. Spiritually feeding the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made him overseer. And I, I, as I, I've said to you repeatedly, I don't come with anything different. I just come every week. And it is my objective week by week to see what that the ordinary means of grace are ministered in this pulpit and in this house. Just the ordinary means of grace. Today people have grown weary with the ordinary but I'm just glad to be an ordinary pastor with the ordinary means of grace because they're the, they're the power of God unto salvation. I was looking this up at the, in the larger catechism, question 154. It says, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his mediation? And what does the, the, the framers of the catechism say? The outward and ordinary means. I was talking to another minister this week and we were just sharing with him. People want this innovation and they want the other innovation. And they want this and that even at funeral services. And it's amazing the requests that are made even of our own ministers of what people now want in funeral services. You no longer want the ordinary. It's the extraordinary. It's the innovative thing. But the catechism, the catechism says the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to his church the benefits of his mediation are all his ordinances, especially the word. Sacraments and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. That's all we need. That's all we need in this building, brethren and sisters. And as long as 
I'm in the pulpit and as long as we have the current session, that's all you'll have. The ordinary means. And God uses them. God makes them effective. I can't make them effective. But God makes them effective. To the elect. For their salvation. Here's a word of warning. And it's as relevant today as it was. When the Lord Jesus Christ uttered it. We've only skimmed the surface. It's a day of false prophets. The internet has opened up. Millions of homes. To false prophets. That our previous generations knew nothing about. I say to you today, be careful who you let into your home. Be careful who you let into your home. You could be entertaining false prophets on the horizon.